Hello, all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today, we're going to be reviewing the newest Bond film, No Time to Die. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for No Time to Die? Sure. James Bond has left active service. His peace is short-lived when Felix Leiter, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. There's always some dangerous new technology in a Bond film. <laughs> always. <laughs> always. All right, so let's start off with our one-sentence summaries for No Time to Die. Mine is... Who needs body armor when you're covered in plot armor? Oh, nice. Plot armor. We Yes. Uh, yes. It's a thing. It's it is so a is thing. a thing. <laughs> and most franchises and all of that will respect the plot armor. Absolutely. Uh, my summary is Bond finally gets into his feels and conquers toxic masculinity. Mm, indeed he does yes love to maybe, see it. maybe toxic masculinity was the real villain in this movie after all Ooh, i mean it's been a villain for about 60 years so. i mean so finally <laughs> yep. somebody took that out it's the thread that connects them all together yeah. <laughs> all right let's start off with our initial thoughts of no time to die and why don't we include our spoiler bumper here i think this movie's been out for a while and um we will have free reign to talk about any parts of the plot just because I think the the ending of this movie will likely be a big part of potentially our thoughts about this film. So with that, Sarah, what were your initial thoughts of No Time to Die? Yeah, my, my initial thoughts <laughs> were um, it was okay. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't love this and um, – the whole time I was watching, I kept comparing it to three other movies, and I wanted to watch these oh. three other movies more than I wanted to watch No Time to Die. One of them being Casino Royale, because there are so yeah. many references to it. The second being John Wick, because also mm. in older gentlemen, uh, doing things <laughs> that he probably shouldn't be doing, and I was concerned for Bond's health. The entire time, just like I was concerned for Keanu's health the entire time in John Wick. And then the third was uh, Lethal Weapon, because all throughout the whole Lethal Weapon franchise, Murtaugh, wonderfully played by Danny Glover, constantly says, I'm too old for this shit. And that is just how I felt Bond was the entire time. And <laughs> I was just, I, I respect it. I appreciate that they made a bunch of old jokes because, I mean, Daniel Craig yeah. is like 50, so they had to mention it. But yeah. also I was just going, oh, buddy, why are you doing this to yourself? This is unnecessary. You could have made different choices. So I, I didn't. I don't know. I, I thought that the movie altogether really wasn't that interesting, um, which is really unfortunate. They do some things that are that are interesting. They bring in some new characters that I really liked, but I feel like they squandered some opportunities there. Mm -hmm. um, there is one scene that I think was absolutely brilliant, but that was the only moment of brilliance, in my opinion. Um, and I think the whole film is just resting on this emotional connection between yes. Bond and Madeline when they didn't have any chemistry at all with each other. And we've only known her for one movie. Mm -hmm. And I just don't care about her. So I just... Mm, it wasn't great. It was fine. It's a Bond yeah. film, so it's going to be a good time. It was surprisingly funny. Like Some of the set pieces were really fun, but it just wasn't great. And uh, it kind of made me just think to myself, like, Daniel Craig, you probably should have stopped after Skyfall. Like, you should have just done three <laughs> and then been done because Spectre wow. wasn't that great from the little that I remember of it. And then this movie wasn't that great. Like... 
maybe you should have just ended on a high note a couple of movies ago. But maybe that's just me. Skyfall was so fantastic. And there were yeah. a lot of like really great emotional moments in that ending that would have been a really great yes. end to um, his time as Bond. Yeah, you can feel that the peak of his time as Bond was definitely uh, past already. And he's oh, even yeah. shared in interviews too uh, that he wasn't that into doing Spectre and he after Spectre, he definitely didn't want to be in another Bond movie. And here he is kind of ending his 15-year run as this iconic character. I think this movie does um, a good job of tying up some of the um, plot arcs and emotional arcs for Daniel Craig's five, five movies. Uh, but as a Bond film standalone, it it's, it's okay. Like you mentioned, it's never going to be bad time. Um, there's a lot of great action in this, in this movie. Um, it's not the best set pieces and, um, sequences that we've seen in the Bond franchise or even Daniel Craig's franchise. I appreciate what they do with the ending. Um, I think it gives way to kind of a fresh new start and a set new set of dynamics for Bond or whatever's next for the 00 franchise, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point in this episode. Um, I think this film does, well, I think in general, Daniel Craig's Bond movies do something different than a lot of the previous Bonds, which is that it relies on a lot of your previous knowledge of some of the villains um, and how they're interconnected and even the relationships that Bonds had in the past for you to appreciate the depth of what's happening plot-wise in this movie, which I don't know. I, I appreciate that the previous Bond movies were kind of standalones. There's a little bit of continuity, but Daniel Craig's Bond movies have a lot of continuity. There's a lot of interconnecting moments. Um, this movie calls back to a lot of the previous like big emotional arcs for Bond in past movies, especially Casino Royale and Vesper's Death. So I didn't love that part. One, it's been so long since I've seen a lot of those movies. Um, but I also think it takes away from the effectiveness of this movie because it just there's there's I think emotional investment that the movie might expect that I would have in certain villains and certain plot points that I feel like have just been so long that it's a little bit faded to me. Um, so I'm I find myself in this movie a lot thinking back to like what happened with wait what what is this calling back to and having to like go into my memory um, in my brain and fish out previous plot points. And that was a little bit distracting for me. No, I had, I had the same problem, especially because I don't really remember Spectre. Like I know that we <laughs> talked about it in our Spectre episode, but I don't remember what happened. I don't remember how the girl is connected to everything. I don't, even re I didn't even remember that Christoph Waltz played the villain in that one. Like <laughs> I, so yeah. all of this, I was completely lost. Um, I, I wish that they had done a little bit to catch me up because I remember Casino Royale very, very well, but Spectre, yes. I got nothing for. So mm -hmm. I was also very lost for portions of this. This movie needed to do what Toy Story 4 <laughs> opening scene yes. did so well. It was like a little uh, recap for you, like previously in the Toy Story franchise. This is what happened, and it's a nice, you know, organic lead in to the plots of this movie. Yeah, there's there's so much that this movie calls back to in previous franchises. I got to watch this with uh, my family, and they haven't seen some of the previous films, or it's kind of hazy for them. And so, for a lot of scenes, it's like especially the Blofeld scenes. There's a lot of weight for those scenes and like the interactions and confrontation that Bond has with Blofeld um, that is relying on you knowing so much about the history and what Blofeld has done to Bond and causing the source of a lot of his pain and all that kind of stuff that honestly, if you didn't watch any of those movies or don't remember, I'm like, who is this guy that Bond is so pissed at on screen, you know, like, and that feels, um, like there could have been better writing that was done. I think Marvel does a pretty good job of if you have not watched the previous movies, the movie that you're experiencing for the two hours to three hours is still highly effective and entertaining and coherent um, as a standalone piece. If you have seen previous movies, you know, there's an extra satisfaction there and there's layers. This one doesn't have layers. It kind of 
is expecting you to have context. Mm -hmm. And can we just talk about the length of this for a hot second? It is. Pop off on the, we need to bring back the 90 minute movie. (laughs) It is two hours and 43 minutes long. Why is it so damn long? There was no need for this movie to be as long as it is. Like, I this doesn't need to be 90 minutes, but it should have been like two, two hours, hours. Yeah. somewhere thereabouts. Like that feels right. But yeah. this thing felt like such a slog to try and get through. Like it just wouldn't end. I was like, my God, just <laughs> like, let's get this over with already, which is not mm-hmm. the feeling that you want to have in a James Bond movie. So this was way too long. This was incredibly long and it was kind of um paced very even mm-hmm. keel through the whole especially middle section I would say yeah I feel like there have been other Bond films that you know maybe have been longer as well but there's kind of these moments of high action these long sequences of action set pieces and then we get kind of a break to like gather information or figure out what our next mission is or go find the right person to talk to this one felt like there was these little bits of like medium volume action and then a lot of like plot building over time. And I feel like it, I mean, this movie overall feels a lot more plot driven than action driven than some of the previous Bond films that we've seen. Likely because it's the last ones. So they're trying to like tie up a bunch of loose ends and tell a good story. But it takes, it, it's, it's um, paced very even throughout a lot of the middle section. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a good way to put it. Like you don't have that, dynamic variation that we see in a lot of the other films where there's just this explosion of things and oh my gosh you're so invested and you're so excited and then like it dies down and gives you a time for your heart rate to return to normal again before we go into another action moment and even the action in this I don't know it 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 wasn't very exciting for me no I, okay good I'm I'm glad that I'm not the only one because I was I was wondering if there was something wrong with me, why this action, all these set pieces weren't really working well for me, but yeah. okay. I, I, I experienced the same thing. I actually, the movie ended and um, we were talking amongst our family and I was like, it feels like there wasn't that much action in this movie. And, and my dad goes, well, I think there, there actually was a lot. And if I think back, like on paper, there's actually a lot of action moments, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of set pieces, you know, like on the ship and in the forest and um, in the streets of Italy and whatnot. There's a lot that happens. It's just not like what you're talking about where they turn up the volume on the adrenaline and the thrill and you being breathless and then they let you come down mm-hmm. um, from your high and kind of catch your breath a little bit. It was a lot of action thrown into um, – Scenes and they also didn't last as long as I feel like they normally do in other Bond films, where you get the car chase and the plane and the and it, it's it's a lot longer of a breathless sequence. Whereas these felt like short little spurts here and there, peppered in um, into a lot of like plot building pieces that um, were slowly trying to gather information along the way as well. So there's less of a tonal shift that happens between high action and then um, moments of rest. Mm-hmm. And I even think that I I agree with you, but then there's one action set piece that I think was actually the opposite for me. But um, mm. I, I think the only like action moment in this where I was like, oh, that was fantastic, is that moment where um, Anna de Armas is fighting in that gorgeous yes. gown that's in all of the trailers. So mm-hmm. like I had already seen that and. I don't know. That was the best moment of all of it for me was watching her fight in that dress. It was staged beautifully. She's kicking ass. It was a great yeah. costuming choice. Excellent. But then the 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 action set piece that I felt that would not end is when they were driving through the woods uh, trying to escape <laughs> the evil action hench history. people. Um, yeah. And so, like, they drive into the woods, and it's like, oh, they escaped for a second. And then, no, here comes this whole, like, other army of cars coming in. And when that happened, I just went, oh, my God, let it be over. (laughs) Like, 
I was just that scene, like that sequence would not end. And I was so annoyed at how long it just dragged on and on and on because I was just not feeling it. I was not interested in whatever was happening in the woods. Because after they get out of the cars, then they're mm-hmm. on foot and still continuing. Yep. Yes. Yep. And then they're hidden in the little house and they're still coming. And it was just, it was so excessive how many cars there were and, and motorcyclists and a helicopter. And like, of course, because it's Bond, but also that is so obnoxious. (laughs) The forest was beautiful. It was beautiful. But I also feel like some, a lot of the action set pieces are exciting when they're, they're in cities or places where there's a lot of shit to run into you know (laughs) a car chase in the forest is i don't know a little less visually exciting we want to see things blow up we want (laughs) to see you make hard left turns we want all of that yeah that's true though i did appreciate it when he i don't know used that cord or whatever from that one vehicle to like trip up all the other ones that was highly entertaining so it was a good use of the forest uh (laughs) And making things exciting. (laughs) But I couldn't wait to get out of the forest for sure. That's fair. That's fair. I also expected the uh, ending action sequence to be more substantial than it actually was. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I just – I was thinking about Skyfall's climax uh, shootout at the, like, lone house. I think it's his childhood home. Um, and it was just so epic. And I, I think knowing this was Bond's last movie and this was likely to be his last action sequence, I thought they would go bigger than they actually did. Um, they went more the emotional climax uh, for this movie, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But I don't know. I was expecting more from that final action sequence as well. It was, um, it was fine. It was fine. I wouldn't have been as surprised if it was like a um, – an action final scene from like a movie from 30 years ago. Like I feel like some of the Pierce Brosnan movies have pretty mellow climax endings where like they really just are escaping and they blow, blow it up and they're out of there. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just expected more from this climactic ending scene. I was once again, focused on the things that you're not supposed to be focused on. What were you focused um, on? I had two predominant questions while bond was in this whole like bunker situation number one okay how did the emp in his watch not also blow out their comms because it's a it's an electromagnetic pulse i am not a scientist (laughs) i know nothing about technology but wouldn't that blow all of the electronics within a certain like perimeter or vicinity and that would include the calm in your ear like i like when the eye explodes the ear explodes that man's bionic eye yeah you would think so but somehow magically the 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 comms were not blown by the emp so i was just very bothered by that the whole time (laughs) q is a genius q is a genius or he's a magician He's a I'm, wizard. I'm fine wizard. either way. He can be a genius magician. Totally cool. I can respect that. Um, and then my other question, I referenced it in my summary, is mm-hmm. Bond, he's he's a little older. You know, he's yeah. like 50 now. Why is he not wearing body armor? Like, I just <laughs> even give him just like a bulletproof vest because he's taken out all these people and they're shooting back at him so i mean we all know that henchmen in these movies have horrible aim (laughs) but my god there were so many that he took out all by his lonesome and nobody hit him and i was just very bothered like just get a scratch or something but yeah he was perfectly fine he only gets injured when he encounters safin yep that was it I think that was it. And then he and starts I, to limp. I was bothered by that. I <laughs> I either true. wanted him to have more body armor to to explain why all of these hench people cuz like I mean it's the law of averages. If if somebody right. shoots at you enough time even if they can't hit the broadside of a barn, you got like 100 people coming at you. Somebody's going to hit you. 
but not in a Bond franchise. So nope. the plot armor is real. The plot so armor real. is so real, and I was so bothered by it. <laughs> that's so, that's one thing that John. I think you mentioned this as well. Um, John Wick was one of the movies mm-hmm. that you thought of. That's something that John Wick does well. Like yes, Keanu gets beat up. He and does. We see it. We feel it. And that heightens, that actually heightens the action and the thrill and the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was watching a video game when yes. I was um, watching this ending scene. Yeah. You know, there's people like coming out from the hallway and behind the doors and it was shot from behind very much like a video game as well. Mm-hmm. And then to, to your point that you, you made about it not feeling like this big like climactic thing, I think I uh, – the the way that they did it was it was almost like a joke like like <laughs> bond was so bothered by everybody chatting in his ear so it it seemed funny that he was flustered and annoyed mm. because he knew what he had to do but people were interrupting him so like i was kind of like chuckling along in the midst <laughs> of all of my questions um so it didn't have this like really intense Oh my gosh, yeah. is he going to survive? Is he going to defeat the villain? And then I think the other problem is that the villain is kind of boring. Like mm-hmm. Safin was I I I just again, I had so many questions about him and I I don't think that he was a good villain and he wasn't interesting. They tried to make him like really evil and really sinister but it just didn't work and he didn't seem like substantial enough of a villain evil enough of a villain to have this like mm-hmm. final showdown with bond i don't know it just it all felt wrong in that last yep. little bit yep i agree that's one of the things that i jotted down as uh something for us to talk about is how do we feel about safin and rami malik as bond villain i think he he's like every other bond villain um, that is, you know, average, which is they do their job, they say some creepy lines, they want to take over the world, and there's some final showdown and they're out of there. Um, nothing particularly memorable about the way that Safin is portrayed and kind of the plot background that they give him. Nothing new that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. And I, so, okay, here's, here's the thing that I was thrown off with, with Safin is that Rami Malek is only like four years older than the actress who plays Madeline. And so the whole time I was just thinking like, you couldn't have been an adult or even close to an adult Mm -hmm. when you supposedly were the masked man who broke into her house. So I was just... Yeah, I was just bothered by that casting choice a little bit. Rami Malek is a great actor. But... Not all movies work for him. Um, and I feel like this is one where it just didn't work. I wonder if a different actor could have maybe brought something else to this role to make it uh, maybe more memorable than mm-hmm. we get in this. Because it didn't, like you said, it didn't feel memorable. It was just okay. He did the thing and then went yeah. home. And that's, it's fine. <laughs> he did the thing. But... I don't know, especially because this is like Daniel Craig's last Bond. You think you would want this like larger than life villain. Yes. uh, And there wasn't. Exactly. I I was expecting this like big, epic, final hurrah for him. And it felt like, honestly, there's more weight to defeating Blofeld than Safin. And and in, in, in a weird way, uh, Safin is like the ultimate, you know, final showdown with the boss in like the video game. And it felt like Blofeld was like the one, you, the level you play right before you get to that level. And I, I feel like as far as uh, the Bond storyline so far for Daniel Craig, it would have made more sense for a more epic showdown with, um, with Blofeld at the end. Um, they're just... we. Honestly, we just don't have enough information about Safin and there isn't enough time for us to get there uh, fast enough. And because there's already so much weight and animosity and history between Bond and and Blofeld, that felt like a more natural choice. Um, 
There's also just things with Safin, like with the poison garden and things like that, that just felt, I don't know, either unexplained or kind of distracting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot with that, that I wanted more of an explanation for that the film was never going to give me. Nope. And so you're right. I was very distracted about why are we here? Which is right. really funny because in like, what was it? Dr. No, it was kind of a similar situation mm-hmm. where this bunker and this weird villain with his, what was it? Like his Radioactive. fish. Yeah, yeah. Like it was the whole thing. <laughs> but I didn't really question that as much. I was like, that, that's fine. You want a secret underground lair? I'm going to let you have that. That's cool. It's a weird choice, but you make that choice. Mm-hmm. For Safin, I didn't feel that way. I wanted an explanation. And yep. I don't I don't know why <laughs> there was such a dissonance between these two characters who in a lot of ways were kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't feeling Safin at all. Yeah, me neither. I, this is what I wanted. I And I was waiting for some kind of reveal to happen with uh, Madeline because Blofeld in that confrontation scene in prison insinuates that Madeline has all of these secrets and once she reveals them, it will be somehow incredibly devastating to Bond. Some, somehow, mm-hmm. I think he says something like, "This it will be the death of you, right? And so I'm waiting for what is Madeline's secrets? Because we as a viewers already know the things that happened with um, uh, Safin coming to kill her father and how she her father was involved with Spectre. And we know that Bond knows that already as well. So I thought that there was going to be some relation, like deeper relationship or history between Safin and Madeline that was going to be somehow revealed, especially because the movie tells us that Safin is the one that rescues Madeline from the um, icy waters at the very beginning of the movie. He kind of spares her. And so I don't know. I was I was waiting for something there where they are connected somehow or had a history or in some way um, there's going to be some epic reveal of something. I don't know what I was waiting for. I was waiting for something more and we just, n- nothing gets revealed. I think the secrets that Blofeld is potentially referring to is in that scene later on where Bond is at her home and she reveals all the stuff and the files that her father had and kind of all that history that we as a viewers have known for the past hour and a half. So I don't know if um, I missed something, but I was wondering if you were thinking the same thing or were waiting for something similar or that worked for you thoughts yeah yeah no because they built it up so much like you want a bombshell to be dropped Mm -hmm. and there really wasn't one i just Mm -hmm. nope for some reason this dude has some weird obsession about this chick and that's about all that we get um i think especially because his actions were so like he was so obsessed with Madeline. And I feel yeah. like they could have played that up more um, to make him more sinister somehow. Like what he did is awful. Like kidnapping this woman and her child and then separating the woman and her child. Like it's that's horrific. That's awful. But it also didn't feel as horrific as it was, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like I was mm-hmm. watching this and I'm like intellectually that is just unforgivable what he's doing in addition to like wanting to kill millions of people obviously that's very bad too but it didn't feel like oh my gosh he is pure evil it was just like he's just some creepy stalker guy doing this this is not great i don't know yeah they they could have done more to really make him a suitable villain like final villain but he wasn't and especially the scenes where he's talking to Bond and he's saying like, like we are, we, you are in love with Madeline. That's like something we have in common. Like, I, I don't know. I feel like there could have been uh, just, just more, like, like give us more about all of that and play it up more. Like you mentioned, because, you know, it's pretty, pretty okay. We've, we've just seen, honestly, we've seen villains do worse. Let's be real. Um, yes, we have. Yep. So <laughs> This was like a walk in the park for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely middle of the road. Like you got to see. There's yeah. nothing. 
<laughs> nothing incredible about it, but we've seen far worse, like you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I also was thinking potentially there's just less big flashy action set pieces and less of that like um, fighting that we typically see in the climax of a Daniel Craig Bond movie. Maybe because Daniel Craig's just getting old, you know? Like there's a mm -hmm. lot less hand-to-hand -hand yeah. combat. It's a lot of like him with his gun walking upstairs, shooting down hallways. Um, so maybe the man's just old and they're like, I don't – nope. <laughs> you just – you do this and it'll be fine. We'll give you some uh, emotional moments and call it a day. And and that's fine. I mean, there there are still ways to make that mm -hmm. so exciting. And I, I think it just has to do with all of those factors that we've already talked about. Like, yeah. even if the actor – maybe can't move like he used to be able to, you can still make these incredibly thrilling and like, yeah. oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? But yeah, it, I don't know. It just, I, I never once thought that Bond was like in danger, but not in like a, in a good way. Like it, I feel mm. like in the other, like one of the reasons why you and I in particular loved James Bond is because he's just so good at what he does. But there's always this element of danger that they they yeah. enter in, and it's fun to see that he's so competent that he's over that he's able to like overcome this incredible danger around him. Yeah. But in this one, it was just like he's just going for a walk in this bunker, Q nagging him in his ear, just sniping bad right. guys as he goes. Like no big deal. No, right. no one's gonna harm him. You know, it mm -hmm. just, it was so underwhelming. <laughs> it feels like the, like, action sequence that happens in the middle of the movie that yes. is building up to the the final climactic ending. Yeah. You know, like, they need to go get some information so this is the little action set piece that they're going to give us. That's the, like, volume level that this felt like. But no, this was the ending scene. I mean, I just was thinking about the Skyfall ending and... One, we, we just see Bond getting like really beat up in that in that ending scene and like things are exploding left and right. He's the only one that has to defend this home. But I also feel like it it showed a lot of his creativity and his ability to think fast on his feet and he's using all different kinds of gadgets around him and creating explosives in interesting ways. And we don't see a lot of that in this ending scene, how much Bond is able to think on his toes and kind of outmaneuver using his mental capacity in addition to the physicality. And that's something that they definitely could have woven in um, and still, you know, kept Daniel Craig's body somewhat, somewhat protected from having to like do all of the stunt pieces that he typically would have done. Like lean into the fact that Bond is cunning and sharp. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think some of what we're kind of talking about has to do with, maybe some of the writing of this like yeah. there are so many people listed as writers for this and that's not even everybody who contributed to this so there was a lot of revisions and a lot of rewrites to this film and mm -hmm. i i really wonder if if some of that you know tumultuous writing and even directing stuff mm -hmm. that happened yeah. along the way influenced what we see here um mm -hmm. I don't know, because it just, it felt, a lot of it just felt off. And it, it felt like sometimes we were focused too much on one thing and not enough mm -hmm. on another. And some pieces of information were not what we needed. And then they excluded information that we actually mm -hmm. needed. And so I just, I wonder how much of this that we're, that we're sensing with the, the pacing and the timing of things and, and how these set pieces even landed for us have to do with just some of the issues that that happened kind of behind <laughs> behind yeah. the scenes i don't know yeah that's possible too many cooks in the kitchen yeah conflicting ideas about where to where to take also i think what's what's interesting about what this bond film needed to do is resolve and kind of tie up this season this era and also lay some foundation for the next um, era and the next uh, time and, and future for when we will get to see 007 or Bond next. And 
tackling those two goals is is also kind of challenging to do. Um, you know, we've seen other franchises struggle struggle to do this as well um, in a way that feels kind of organic and and um, satisfies all of the requirements that it needs to hit. Like I'm thinking about Star Wars as well. You know, like similar challenges of um, there isn't a singular vision from one writer. A lot of creators take bits and pieces of it, but also the way that a lot of their films are setting up what's next, but also having to tie up storylines that have um, gone back decades is is kind of challenge, a challenging task to do. So I won't envy it, but. Oh yeah, not at all. <laughs> I wouldn't want that job. <laughs> nope, nope. Um, let's talk about uh, one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about this um, specific plot and storyline is how there are at many times in the middle of part of this movie, three parties involved. Um, there's Spectre and Blofeld, there's Safin and his crew, and then there's um, both MI6 and the CIA. So I guess there's maybe four parties involved. And it was it was fun to see the way that they built out and um, had some of the betrayals and relationships um, collide with each other, but also um, split from each other as well. It felt very noir-like, like you kind of are always on edge about who is working for who, which we've seen in past Bond films, but I think this this one really leaned into kind of the double-crossing of characters and kind of becoming traitors against their own organizations. And I had fun with that piece. I thought that added some interesting complexity to what is usually a pretty straightforward storyline, which is Bond MI6, good guys, some villains, bad guys, there's some... Um, side characters and some henchmen that are on the journey to get to the final big boss ending scene. And I appreciated that they, they added a little bit more complexity in weaving this plot together. I'm curious if that worked well for you as well and, and was satisfying or you didn't love it as much. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it was all that complex or all that interesting. Um, maybe that's just me though, <laughs> but yeah, I just, again, I just felt like I was muddling through this. Like, I, yeah. none of the betrayals really ever hit me. Like, oh my gosh, that was such a big deal. It was just like, yeah, of course you are going to betray them. Like, that's the point. So, I don't know. Even, even during all of those, I just, I felt like we were muddling through. I don't know. I was... I was pretty uninterested for lots of this movie. I'm finding out. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, not not a not a good effect for this movie to have. Mm -hmm. nope. um, let's talk about um, the new 007 that was introduced in this movie. Yes, know me. Um, what were your thoughts about the way that they handled her introduction and? her character throughout this movie. I loved her. I am a big fan. Uh, I, I feel like she, she is a character that they could have done so much more with. Um, I did enjoy the, the little like competition between her and bond that was going on. That was humorous to me. Um, and I, I just, I wanted her to be more involved than she was and I also, I, I got so mad at the, uh, at the, the, the ending card that said that James Bond will return because I feel like that was such a wasted opportunity to hand off this franchise from a white male to a black woman. And it could have just been such a, an interesting opportunity to, to do something different with the Bond franchise than we've ever seen before. And I don't know, like, I just, uh, even, even if they had made it like 007 will return and like kept it ambiguous so that if they wanted to go back to Bond, they could, but if they wanted to go with her, they could. But I don't know. I just, after seeing her as a double O kicking ass, taking names, even though we didn't get to know her very well, um, I just, I wanted more. I don't really want to go back to just some like suave white guy, you know, doing this. Like there's opportunity here. And I, I'm a little, 
um, annoyed that we might just go back to suave white guy instead of having these really dynamic and interesting characters of different genders and ethnicities. Like, I don't know. It feels like a missed opportunity. But again, we don't know what they're going to do in the next film. But I just, I hope that we see more characters like her. Uh, I just, uh, I feel like they missed so many opportunities with her, though. It's a little bit confusing, too, because, yeah, the to continue the 007 franchise would have been a much easier thing to do and allows them a lot more flexibility on casting both different genders and different types of people into that role. But to keep the name James Bond kind of insinuates mm-hmm. that it's still going to be a man. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really see how they can continue that and and be able to allow for women to be in that role. Um, I actually, while watching this movie, and again, I haven't like read anything about No Time to Die or The Next Bond or anything like that. I know there's been like kind of chatter about it. Um, I try to stay away from from all of that before watching this. Um, So for most of the movie, I thought that they were teeing her up as a clear next um, successor to Daniel Craig. And only upon that title card and and the continuing research that I did afterwards is that it's really undefined. Um, And I was surprised by that. I thought that they did a decent job of at least giving us enough time with this character to be on board to see her in the next movie. Um, I thought that was kind of a done deal while watching this movie and was surprised that that actually is not the case. And there's a lot that that is un- very undefined as far as what's next, who and what and how they're going to do it. Um, I, I just feel like the 007 and James Bond, um, those two iconic parts of this brand are so intertwined together that they either need to keep the 007 part and kind of move forward with just that piece or they're you know choosing a very different route to continue on forward if they keep both the James Bond and 007 iconic parts of this brand together. Yeah, yeah. And I I mean I personally would rather see more of this 00 world than mm-hmm. see continuing to see James Bond. And I love James Bond. I love these movies. They're so fun. But we've also had them for what 60 years 60. now? Like yeah. we can we can do something more. We can take the structure that the Ian Fleming novels and all of these films built and create something new and exciting and I don't know, it doesn't need to be James Bond centric anymore. I think I think like those two paths that you were talking about. I think going the double O route provides so many opportunities. Going the James Bond route provides a very limited set of opportunities available. And they, with that ending card, uh, chose the more limited option. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, it was just, it was disappointing, I think. Yeah, I agree. I think that also they did a good job of introducing Nomi's character and um, have her still embody a lot of what we love about 007 in general um, and, you know, the traditional version of James Bond, which is kind of the the competency, the confidence, the quick-wittedness, the um, fast, sharp dialogue and kind of the humor and that air of uh, ease and cool. Like she embodied so much of that. And that's honestly what we love seeing about James Bond and seeing him do his thing. And she just, she took that and embodied it as a woman. Um, and like, why, why do we need to continue the route that we've been on when we can redefine or um, chart a new direction? So I'm just surprised that they haven't thought far enough ahead and would have used this opportunity to see up the next, the next thing, but perhaps they didn't have enough time to flesh out that direction or they have they have it already defined, and they're just <laughs> it's not revealed to the public yet. I don't know, but um, this seemed like a good opportunity to really tear up. Mm-hmm. And and part of me did wonder um, if if maybe that was what they were hoping for, but uh, 
They wanted to see how this movie was received. They wanted to see how this character Mm -hmm. was received before putting all of their eggs in that basket. Like, you know, it, the idea is really, really exciting to go from a white male centric franchise to being led by a black woman. Like, whoa, that is absolutely incredible. But I can see how a lot of people would be resistant to that. So I wonder if there was also like the marketability aspect, which, oh God, I just hate so much because it would be so much more interesting. But I wonder if there's those kind of conversations happening as well, which sucks, but they're probably happening. Feeling out. Yeah. Feelers out. Yep. Yeah. It's the commerce side of all this, huh? (laughs) Indeed. Yes. Ah commerce just screwing up creativity yet again the heck yeah well the other wonderful thing about this is that daniel curry can move on to new things and he's such a fantastic actor like we've seen him and we've talked about movies that he's been that have not been bond films on um a couple of times on this on this podcast and he i think has so much more to offer and so much more that's ahead of him i know he is personally very excited about getting to do new things so this is a this is a new start a new era for him as well Mm -hmm. yeah I'm really excited to see what he does next Mm -hmm. yep yep and I know that we're gonna see him in upcoming Knives Out sequels which we have feels on whether these sequels should exist or not but he is great as Ben Wong. he's still playing a little bit of like the Bond type character type you know he's He's in a suit. He's smooth talking. He's um, that guy. I'm excited to see what else he'll be in next. We've seen him do great things in Logan Lucky. He's got so much range that, you know, hopefully he doesn't get continue to get typecasted into kind of that that type of character. So we'll see what he does next. It'll be interesting to follow him. Well, he's got all that James Bond mo- money, so I yes. mean, he can do pretty much whatever he wants. He can go just like take a nap for like a year and then uh, do whatever he wants. <laughs> yep, yep. Okay, other things we wanted to talk about with No Time to Die? Can I talk about my favorite moment in the yeah. whole thing? Is this a scene that you thought was brilliant? I thought it was brilliant! It's so good. So uh, it's when Felix dies. And I loved Felix's character. And I'm glad that he got a good death, though. Like, that was solid. But it was just, it was just so well done, especially because I was thinking about Casino Royale, because they had already mentioned Vesper's death a million times up to this point. So to see Felix die in water, similar to how Vesper died in water and see Bond's reaction to Felix's death be so different than it was to Vesper's death. Two people that he loved and cared for so much just showed how much this character has grown over five movies. And it was just such a brilliant moment to juxtaposition those two deaths, which if we watched Casino Royale, we knew, oh my gosh, this is almost a mirror image of Vesper's Mm -hmm. death. It was so good. So brilliant. Good job, guys. (laughs) That was really well done. I mean, this movie knows Daniel Craig's Bond well. That's for sure. Um, And they really capitalized on that. Honestly, I'm going to confess, I was trying to figure out who Felix was and what Bond's relationship to him was. Oh, that's fair. I just don't remember him. Um, I can get on board with like, okay, clearly have a lot of history and a lot of respect for each other. And there's some kind of bond there. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> it was good. But <laughs> uh, I was trying to rack my brain. That was one of the things that I think I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. This was one of those instances. I was like, I, I don't remember this dude, but clearly he was important. <laughs> he was important. He was the one in Casino Royale who staked bond uh, at the end. I don't know. Anyway. Don't know. And then he was in another, I don't remember which other one he was in, but, and Jeffrey Wright like is seen just. I face before. I mean, there's always like yeah. some American agent that shows up to help. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Jeffrey Wright is just such a good actor that it's just, I don't know. Anytime I see it's him, I'm like, oh, lovable. thank you for joining us. You're yeah. a welcome addition to this movie. Automatically endearing. Yes. Yeah. 
And I think also you see the like banter between Bond mm-hmm. and him that you kind of immediately know that they're pals. Yeah. Wow. That was great. That was a great scene. You know, something yeah. that we, we haven't talked about yet. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about this whole Bond having a child situation? I feel very conflicted about it. I Ooh, think okay. um I think the I think they ended it the right way. I would have been pissed if they didn't kill him and he had this happily ever after with Madeline and Child. Like Oh yeah. This is this no, this is not the bond that we know. There is this like tragic, beautiful part about the the way that this film ended that I just think they they did that well. I appreciated that. Um I think that him having a child just kind of is a cheap way to get us to really find him endearing and be invested in this final ending sequence. So it was effective. I was I was rooting for them, but I don't know. It just it felt like it preyed on my emotions a little bit, and uh, I feel like yeah. That so I feel conflicted about it. That's fair. Yeah. Was it? Were you surprised with the reveal? I didn't see it coming. So you, you're a great predictor in uh, movies. You're good at you're good at picking up that, those plots. But um, I didn't see that coming. Although when she says uh, she's not yours, I'm like that. I'm a call BS. Uh-huh, I'm a yeah. call BS um, because it feels like oh okay, this is going to be the way that they're going to usher us into the third act. Is mm-hmm. Bond is now going to have a child, and he's now not just saving the world, but also protecting his family. I would, I will say a lot of those action sequences where the child is there, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is so much more um, terrifying because here's this little tiny child in the car as you're like smashing into the car next to you to bump it off the side of the road. Um, It added some fun tension. But again, I don't know. I feel like there could have been better ways to get us to really emotionally invest that maybe didn't require a cute little daughter to be in the mix. I also think it was such a smart choice for them to choose a daughter. Like, okay, duh. Like, here is this assassin killer, super buff man, and he just, like, melts at the thought of protecting his daughter. Like, duh. Every every viewer, every person with a soul is going to be on board for that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's my thoughts. What are your thoughts? How did you feel about that? Yeah, I so when he when he left her on the train in the very beginning and she yeah. like cries out and then like clutches her stomach, I was like, ah oh, crap, she's pregnant. And then there was the five years later card and I went, ah oh, crap, she really was pregnant. He's gonna have a kid. Dang it. <laughs> so like I was already set up to be annoyed with this. And I was annoyed with it. Mm-hmm. Um I did feel like they were uh, trying to manipulate my emotions and I'm never a fan of that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially like when they, during the, the, the car chase in the woods that I was annoyed by, um, I just kept wondering like, why did you choose to do it that way? Again, going back to your point about Bond being so cunning, like the, the, the other way to do it would be, to send Bond off as a decoy and lure mm-hmm. everybody away so that Madeline and the little child can get away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so it was just one of those, like, why would you, if you know these assassins are coming to the house, why would you take the child with you and put her into more danger? I, I don't know. Like, I just... I think having the kid in the car took the fun out of the chase for me, maybe, is <laughs> yes. what it was. Because I was really worried about the kid. And I was like, how is she yeah. processing this? She's going to need so much therapy. Oh, my gosh. And then she was just, like, so calm about it and, like, behaving so well in oh, the car. I was like, what is child. wrong with you? Insane. Like, this is not normal. So, I don't, uh, just, the kid really threw me off. <laughs> and I just... <laughs> I learned that I don't really want children in Bond movies is is what I learned yeah. from this experience. Yeah. That's fair. I mean, I think that's – it's it's that ending, like, arc to Bond's whole storyline. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's never been able to trust and never been able to love. And now he – and he's always felt 
like he's alone and isolated. And, you know, they even play that up when he can barely say the words that he has a family. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's the scene where they're walking into the bunker or something like that. He's like, yeah, and you guys go with my family. Like, you can't (laughs) even say the word. Yeah. It's very endearing. But it's just – it's like an automatic – Empathy points once you throw a child in there. And I don't know. It's There could have been better better writing done to get us to still care that much in a way that felt more meaningful than kind of the the cheaper route. Though it's effective, but it does feel cheap at the end of the day, right? Honestly, I think him learning to trust Madeline again would have been enough for me, you know, and him losing Madeline at the end and not being able to – to touch her because he's poisoned and then he kind of start like chooses to die there. That would have been honestly emotional enough. You didn't have to throw a child in there as well. Yeah. And I think that would have felt less emotionally manipulative and yeah. I don't know. I think it would have been, yeah, I think that would have been enough. It, if, if we had a strong enough attachment to Madeline's character, which I don't know that we mm. would have because I wasn't feeling homegirl, um, but I I was very bothered by the kid, so I think it still would have been a better route to go. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe that's just us. I, I don't know. It might be. Also, the scene where he confesses his undying love for Madeline and her home, I'm like, Ugh. this is not – I mean, I guess Ugh. we're subverting all, like – Bond stereotypes right now in this movie, like okay, we're all we're, we're doing it, we're doing it. I I get it, but I'm just like I don't. This is not this is not Bond. I'm sorry. This is this is we're going a different direction. I get. I see that we're taking a left turn, but you could have done this even in a more meaningful way than him just kind of flat out saying it. You know. Yeah, and I just, I just didn't <laughs> care about her. Like, she's not Vesper. And I think that's just what I kept coming back to, like, this whole movie. Because because Mm -hmm. it starts out with, like, them getting away together. And she says, like, you have to let go of Vesper for us to have a future. And so I was like, why are you bringing Vesper into this? She's better than you. So, like, (laughs) I don't know. Like, I was already ready to fight Madeline because she was talking shit about Vesper. So, Mm. I don't know. She just... Madeline is an okay character, but there was just something so special in Casino Royale about Bond and Vesper's relationship that hasn't been able to be replicated. So then when they're constantly calling back to that first relationship, I don't know, this one just doesn't live up to it. And it just makes you compare them even more. Yeah. I don't think it was, I don't think it achieved the goal that the writers wanted to achieve by constantly calling us back to Casino Royale. Yeah. I think that's true. Also, on-screen chemistry is just night and day between oh, yeah. these pairs. So, Yeah. But she's – you just – you're so excited Bond is, like, learning to love. That's just me, maybe. Sure. It, it's, it's, little- it's not me. But you know what? I love that for you. So I, I'm in support of this. <laughs> He's growing. He's growing. He but then he dies. Growing. Yep, pretty much. And now we got to break in a whole new bond. Yep. yep. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Well, we went the very gritty route with Daniel Craig's bond. We'll see mm-hmm. what they do next. Yeah. Yeah. What could be next? Who could say? Who could say? Uh, all right. Any other last thoughts about No Time to Die? Um, got them all out there. I I will I will give a shout out to the uh to Madeline's home. Um Beautiful. it has a freaking spiral staircase in it. And I got so excited when I saw that because I have always wanted a spiral staircase. So I was just really <laughs> pleased that homegirl had a spiral staircase in her house. It was a great choice. Yeah, yeah, and it had the slinky go down it. It and did. Everything. I mean, what more was, could you possibly want? You got a slinky and a spiral staircase. Home. That's a great day. <laughs> it was a beautiful home. Yes, it and really is. And a beautiful is. bridge to get there. Yes. That was gorgeous. Yep. So picturesque. <laughs> 
Indeed. All right. Well, this was our review and discussion of No Time to Die. Um, I believe it might still be out in theaters. It's also available now to rent on all kinds of streaming platforms. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection. It's something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our Strategic Whimsy Experiment, and we encourage you to find a way to infuse whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about No Time to Die. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back next week to discuss the film Red Notice. We hope you have an amazing week and we'll see you very soon.